Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Be sure to visit robertjmorgan.com where you'll find Rob's blog posts, podcast feed, bookstore, free resources, and more. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review. Now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Hello, everybody. This is Robert J. Morgan. I'm still battling my cold and my congestion, so if I sound worse than usual, that's the reason. But I wanted to go ahead and give you this quotation. Ask the animals, and they will teach you. Where does that come from? Ask the animals, and they will teach you. Well, it's a verse from the Bible. But how can the animals teach us anything? We'll look at that today as we deal with the wonder of God's creation. Before we get started, I want to give a shout-out to my favorite creation hymns, songs like, This is my Father's world, for the beauty of the earth. Praise ye the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. And, of course, Isaac Watts' great hymn, I sing the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise. You can learn about these hymns and the stories behind them in my series of books entitled, Then Sings My Soul. We love the new music, but we don't want to leave the hymns behind. So ask for the series of books. There are three of them. Then Sings My Soul, wherever books are sold. Well, late last year, an interesting article appeared on an academic website, and it was written by Dr. Eric Stevenson, professor of biology and evolution at Lund University in Sweden. He's a committed evolutionist. His article was entitled, The study of evolution is fracturing, and that may be a good thing. I want to read to you a little part of what he said. Quote, Charles Darwin's theories might be over 1,500 years old, but major questions about how evolution works are far from settled. Evolutionary biology is now undergoing one of the most intense debates that it has had for more than a generation. And how this debate plays out could have a significant impact on the future of the scientific field. Some go so, so far as to say, now this is Dr. Eric Stevenson, he's an evolutionist, but he is admitting, some go so far as to say that the evolutionary theory itself is in crisis and must be replaced by something new. That evolutionary biology is increasingly fractured, he says, does not worry me as long as we recognize that a plurality of approaches is not a weakness but a strength. If physicists cannot agree on a grand unified theory of the universe, why should biologists be expected to agree on one beyond what we have already achieved? He concluded, maintaining a coherent overview, either the modern synthesis or some extinction of it, seems increasingly hopeless. I read the article twice, and it seems to me that what the author was saying is this. We have been studying the evolutionary theories for over 150 years, and we're running into more and more problems with our hypotheses. But since we're committed to evolution, let's just keep exploring and see what happens and put the best face to it. 
Well, I'm not a scientist, but I am a student of a great book about the wonders of creation, and I want to show you a few Bible verses and then introduce you to an interesting area in science and apologetics that, to me, well, it opposes by its very logical and observable manifestation the whole theory of evolution. And that brings us to the verse that I quoted earlier, Job 12, verses 7 through 10. But ask the animals, and they will teach you, or the birds in the sky, and they will tell you, or speak to the earth, and it will speak to you, or let the fish of the sea inform you. Which of all of these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this, and his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind? So ask the animals and learn from them. Ask the birds, ask the fish, ask the earth. In other words, the Lord is saying to us, look at my creation and learn from what I have made. Well, let's do that. When I was a boy, my father took us to Hoover Dam. It's one of the most breathtaking construction projects of the 20th century. And as a little fellow, I felt totally overwhelmed by this massive structure. But long before anyone thought of building dams and creating lakes and reservoirs, do you know who was doing it? The beavers. They are the most incredible answers. They have huge orange front teeth that can cut through a tree. Why orange? Because the teeth are reinforced with iron to make them strong enough for gnawing. When they get a tree limb in their mouths, their lips can close behind their teeth so that they can swim underwater with it, and they become like submarines. They have a set of transparent eyelids that are like goggles, allowing them to see underwater, and they know how to fashion these sticks and limbs into a dam that can last, literally, for hundreds of years. They first drop large trees into a river to slow the flow of water. Then they gather smaller sticks along with mud, carry all of this in their mouths to their spot, and use their front paws to construct their homes, which includes altering the river enough to create ponds. These beaver dams contain different rooms for eating and nesting, and they have underwater entrances for safety. They are marvels of engineering. Now, if Hoover Dam required intelligent engineers to design and build it, don't you think there would be an intelligent designer behind the beaver? Well, here's another example. Whenever I'm in New York, I like to walk across the East River on the Brooklyn Bridge if I have time. It was built in 1883, and at that time, it was the longest suspension bridge in the world. The story of the construction of the Brooklyn Bridge has been told in books and novels and documentaries and movies and every other kind of media. At least 25 workers are said to have died while building the bridge, and after it was built, showman P.T. Barnum took 21 elephants across it to show everyone that it was safe. But long before suspension bridges were built, tiny little spiders were building bridges and spinning webs that rival our greatest feats of engineering. To us, a spider web is a nuisance, but truly, each one is a marvel of engineering. To build a web, a spider will climb to some suitable starting point, like the end of a leaf, and start releasing a cable. 
With any luck, the wind will blow the other end of the thread against a twig, and it has a sticky sort of substance to it, and when the spider fills the tug, he will tie his end to something and start walking across the thread, releasing more cable as he goes. He'll come at it from another angle, and then from another angle, and by the time the web is completed, it is a geometrical wonder. Scientists tell us that for its size, spider's silk is stronger than steel, yet it has qualities that steel doesn't have. It is flexible, stretchable, and hard to break. Human beings have never been able to replicate anything like it. It's as though the most brilliant engineering mind in the universe put a tiny bit of his genius into the tiny brain of each tiny spider. Or think about radar. The science of radar began in the 1800s when a German physicist determined that radio waves could bounce off of solid objects. Another man, a Russian, discovered that these waves could be detected. The science of radar was developed in the 1900s and before World War II, several nations had super-secret programs for developing radar technology. The ability to detect incoming planes helped save the British islands during World War II and probably changed the course of world history. But long before radar, there were bats. As bats fly through the air, or as they go in and out of caves, they emit extremely high-pitched sounds, far above the hearing capabilities of humans. This sound travels through the air, bounces off objects and echoes back into the big ears of these bats. The brain of the creature instantly processes the information and determines its flight path. The bat can instantly tell how far away any object is, how big it is, whether or not it's moving, and if so, in what direction and how quickly. All of that is instantly translated into a flight pattern. God was the original inventor of radar as he installed it into the structure of the brain and the ears of the bat. If bridges and radar require intelligent design, what about spiders and bats? Or consider the helicopter. Earlier I talked about my dad. When I was a boy, he gave me $5 one day to ride a helicopter at the local fair. That might have been the most exciting moment of my life. I can't tell you the thrill of strapping into that bubble-shaped vehicle and lifting off the ground and hovering over Knoxville. But long before helicopters, there were hummingbirds. Hummingbirds are small creatures with wings that beat about 80 times a second, which makes a humming noise, giving them their name. These little birds can hover, they can fly up and down, left and right, forward and backward, even upside down when necessary. They are the only kind of bird that can fly backward, and they can dive at 60 miles an hour. To me, the most surprising thing was how much they eat. They expend such enormous energy because of how quickly their wings have to flutter that they have the fastest metabolism of any animal on Earth. They routinely consume about three to four times of their body weight every day. Just imagine what you would look like if you consumed three or four times your body weight every day. But these are God's little helicopters. We can also mention GPS. When Katrina and I were married, we traveled across Canada for our honeymoon. We had to rely on old-fashioned maps that would never fold back up correctly. 
Katrina would have the maps unfolded and spread over her lap, and I'd try to follow her directions, and we both tried to figure out the route to take using those maps. Now our phones beam our location to a satellite, which maps our route and sends some woman's voice back to tell us where to go. Every single turn, she knows if we get 10 feet off of the uh, off of the trail. It's a marvel of technology. But long before we put a navigational satellite system into space, the migratory birds had an internal GPS that guided them on their long-haul flights between continents and around the world. Do you know the species of bird that makes the longest journey every year? It's the Arctic tern, and it travels from the Arctic to the Antarctic. The average annual round trip is 44,000 miles. How do they know where to go? How do they know when to go? What prompts them to pack their bags and move north or south for the season? How do they find their nests? How can a bird in a tree in my lawn make its way to another homeowner's lawn in Brazil every year and find its way then back to my tree in my yard on the following season? It's only because God implanted billions of GPS units in the bird brains of our fluttery creatures around the world, and our greatest telecommunications innovations pale in comparison. Or think of solar panels that capture the sunshine for purposes of renewable energy. The other day I flew over a solar farm. I couldn't believe the miles and miles of panels aimed skyward. But what do you think the leaves of plants are? What do you think photosynthesis is? Every tree and every plant and every flower contains solar panels that convert sunlight into energy. We're also proud of our electrical generating plants. But do you know the electric eel has had an electrical generating plant inside of it from the creation? One electric eel is capable of generating an electric shock of 600 volts, and it can generate two types of electrical discharge, low voltage and high voltage. Do you know that the White Brothers designed their flying machine after studying flying pigeons? When we think of the electric light bulb, we think of Thomas Edison, but down in the depths of the ocean are species of fish and ocean creatures that generate light through the process of bioluminescence and biofluorescence. Some of these fish remain illumined all the time, and others can cut their lights on and off. Or you can look out your window on a summer's night and count the lightning bugs. These gentle little insects fly around in the evening, turning their light beams on and off, and sometimes you can see them by the hundreds. Now, all of this is a category of both science and apologetics known as biomimicry. To mimic something is to copy it, and biomimicry is the study of how some of our most advanced technologies simply mimics what God first placed in the world of nature. I'll give you a few other examples of this. When I was in Japan a few years ago, I stood on the platform as a bullet train whizzed by. It was going so fast it was nothing but a blur, and it was truly frightening to be nearby when it sped by. But when the train first started running a few years ago, it tended to create sonic booms when it came out of tunnels, and that became a real problem. A Japanese engineering team was hired to solve this problem, and the head of that team was an avid bird watcher. 
the team studied the kingfisher bird and noticed how the bird was able to slash through the air without a ripple and to dive into the water without a splash, and they designed the front, or I should say they redesigned, the front of the train to conform to the design of the beak of the kingfisher. If you look at the soles of your athletic shoes and compare them to a dog's paws, you'll see a resemblance. The reason is because in 1935, Paul Sperry noticed that his shoes would slip on wet surfaces, while his cocker spaniel had no trouble at all walking beside him on the wet sidewalk. Spurry studied the dog's paws, and he saw wave-like grooves, and he started the Sperry Shoe Company based on that design. In 1946, Joseph Cox studied the teeth of the timber beetle larva, and he used that design to invent the chainsaw. This timber beetle larva had teeth that just cut right through trees, and the design was perfect for this new invention, the chainsaw. Velcro was invented when a Swedish engineer studied the burrs that he was trying to get off of his clothes and out of his dog's fur after coming back from a walk in a field. As I reached all this, I came across a fascinating article by Dr. Grady McMurtry, a graduate of the University of Tennessee, who has several postgraduate degrees. He's an apologist who focuses on biblical creation. He wrote about an insect called the bombardier beetle. He described it in all of its chemical complexities. And in his description, he said, it's like a small rocket engine that it has built into its body. The design of its internal chambers and defense mechanisms have been used to improve the ignition systems of gas turbines and the inflation systems of automobile airbags. The whole article is too difficult with too many difficult words to read to you. But this little beetle is such a marvel of engineering that engineers have studied it for a number of different reasons. As I've been thinking about all of this, I've arrived at my own conclusion and written an essay about it. And so let me read it to you. It's not long, but the title is, I Don't Believe in Inventors. I've investigated modern technology. I've driven across the Golden Gate Bridge and read about the engineering behind our most advanced bridges and spans and viaducts. I've seen radar installations on the British coast and along the Sinai Peninsula, and in other places around the world. I've ridden on helicopters and marveled at their ability to hover in the air like hummingbirds. I've studied the science behind propellers of the ocean liners and the technology behind GPS and satellite navigational systems. I've seen solar farms and electrical generation plants. My grandparents used candles and oil lamps, but I was fortunate enough to grow up in a world lit by electricity and filled with modern conveniences that prior generations could not even imagine. But I now believe, despite suggestions to the contrary, that none of these things were actually designed by human intelligence. None of them, in fact, were designed at all. No scientists envisioned them. No engineers charted them. No manufacturers made them. The stories of the world's great inventions are legends, and the reports of their inventions are myths. All these things, the bridges and aircraft and generators and sophisticated fine-tuned devices and equipment, came into being by chance plus time, 
merely as a result of random bits of junk coincidentally coming together in an unpremeditated and unplanned side of blind processes. Whatever we have been taught in the past about engineering, science, technology, inventions, innovation, human intelligence, and human design is false, fictitious, and fanciful, which, of course, would be a very foolish view. It would, of course, wouldn't it? Well, just think about it. That's what those who believe in macroevolution are saying about the marvelous complexity and the engineering genius behind everything that we see around us every day that comes from the world of nature. So the Bible says, ask the animals and they will teach you, or the birds of the sky and they will tell you, or speak to the earth and it will teach you, or let the fish from the sea inform you. Which of all these things does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this, and his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind? The psalmist said, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. And the Bible opens with the words, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is our Father's world, and to our listening ears, all nature sings, and round us rings the music of the spheres. This is my Father's world. We rest us in the thought of rocks and trees and skies and seas, his hands the wonders wrought. Well, thanks for digging into the riches of the Bible with me, and remember, you can learn about that great creation hymn and many others in my series of books, Then Sings My Soul, and you can find them wherever you buy your books. This episode was produced by Joshua Rowan, the marketing company Clearly Media. Audio editing by Jared Brummett. Editorial supervision is by Sherry Anderson. And Luke Tyler is posting this podcast and its transcript as a blog on my website at robertjmorgan.com where you can find many other resources. Music is by Jordan Davis. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And may God be with you until we meet again.